podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Brighton Rock Podcast with me, Russell Guyver, with my co-host Peter Marsh. Hello, hello, Peter. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Russ. How are you? Excellent. Very good. Very good. And we've got someone in conspicuously in a red shirt with us as well, ahead of our game with Southampton tomorrow as we record this. Um, it is my good friend, Matt Guy from Southampton. How are you, Matt? Not too bad, Russell. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, you're smiling at the moment. So am I. One of us might not be by the end of tomorrow night. Who knows? Um, but... Um, we'll get into the, the into the preview side of things on this podcast uh, in a little while. But first of all, your debut on the show, Matt. Tell us a little bit about your background in terms of football. How you're obviously a Saints fan, um, but you haven't been going in recent years. We'll, we'll probably get onto that in a minute. But how did it all start for you, and when when did you become a fan? Um, it was the very sort of like 1981 was when I first started really getting into into my football, and then. The 82 World Cup came along and that's what completely put me hook, line and sinker. But I was always, I've always been quite lucky in as much as I can. Um, I always had Southampton to watch, but I also went to see my granddad take, took me to see Salisbury play in the Southern League. So I've always had this parallel. Like I've never really understood what, what is more important, the top flight or non-league. And to me, it's, it's both exactly the same. So, uh, yeah, I, I can seamlessly move between, yeah. The, the very top end of the game and the very bottom end of the game, and I, I, I see no difference. I just, uh, I just love it. So, um, yeah. So yeah. I've, I've always spent my my life watching all all standards of football, and I've never sort of exclusively been a Southampton. Just just going to see Southampton. I've always sort of uh, been to see Salisbury and other local teams and whatnot. That really explains actually a bit more than I knew about you in terms of how you've come to do what you've done. We'll get on to what that is in a minute, but. Um, Ultimately, you've you've spent most of your time knowing Southampton as, I guess, a top-level team. They've probably I don't know how many years they've spent in the top flight, but it's a sizable number. Even at the moment, they're running a few years along, aren't they? Um, but you've had this passion. I mean, I knew you from Southampton. I did a course down in in Southampton. Worked at the local cinema, which is a great place by the uh, Ocean Village in the marina, and that's how I knew you. And through that, we ended up going on some madcap away trips uh, when Brighton, um, this is late 90s, we were in the low divisions. You, I think, had fallen out of love with the top flight at that point, if I'm remembering correctly, or it's either that or not getting tickets. I can't remember which it was at the time. Yeah, it was, and it was, it was sorry, it was, it was back in the day when the Dell held, you know, 15,000 because all the, all the seats and stuff had gone in. And basically there was... 15,000 season ticket holders or 14,000 or something. So to get a ticket to go and see Saints play in the, in the Premier League at the Dell at the time was, it was impossible. So yeah, I'd, I'd go along to anything and everything and just sort of a, so when you said, do you want to drive to Darlington? I, I said, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So we had, bizarrely, we had um, you and I, my other half, um, and two Darlington fans who didn't know each other, but both lived in the in the local area down in Southampton or thereabouts. Um, one of whom was uh, the girlfriend of one of our colleagues at the cinema, and the other one was a colleague of my wife's um, who was working somewhere over in the New Forest area. Um, both Darlow fans, so we went to the Darlow Brighton game, games. I think it was two years in a row, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. The away games up up at Feetums, as it was at the time. Um, and dragged, dragged the rest of you guys along with us. And um, 
I just remember it being great fun. We had some, it didn't matter about the results. I mean, it was just really good trips, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think I, I always base wherever I go on a way trip, I always base it on, is it as good as Feetham's? Because I just found that, I, I thought I loved that ground so much. <laughs> it's a tragedy that it's just gone to seed. But um, I, I just yeah. remember that old school walking to the away end, going through these like this tiny warren in between houses. And you're thinking, you know, it, back in the day, you were thinking if, if anyone wanted to ambush you, you were done. You know, it's like it was one of those lovely little, it was like sort of walking to, to Millwall or something. It's a, it was just one of those things, just walking in between people's back gardens and a, suddenly this little stadium, this little stand opened out. And a, and, it, and I swear it was going to collapse on a number of occasions when all the Brighton fans started singing because it was not. It was past its best in 97. And a, it, 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 it should have been condemned a long time ago, but it was a lovely atmosphere of the ground. And it's a, yeah. I was, I was so was- chuffed that I went. It was yeah, it was a great ground. It was a shame it's it's no longer being used now um, for that. And you're right, yeah, it was, it was a real convoluted route. You had to go round mm. and you a quite circuitous route to get through yeah, yeah. this aforementioned rabbit warren. Um, and yeah, we were pretty raucous the, the Albion fans back then. I think probably head for head, we were a lot better as an away uh, following then than we are in the Prem. Just purely, even obviously the numbers are larger in the Premier League, but uh, it's just I don't know. The atmosphere was just just so good it was gallows humor it was backs against the wall we had obviously the stadium issues as a backdrop to our our psyche really as, as fans of the albion darlington of course themselves as well struggling in the division this was this was bottom tier and it was great fun we, we go we went for the weekends didn't we i think on both occasions i think we stayed up there yeah um yeah and a great night out as well it's mm. it really good wasn't it yeah i just i just remember it being um i think the reason i loved it so much was because yeah, you're sort of playing it down a bit. So like the club was in dire straits and I think Brighton was pretty much on its knees, wasn't it? And the, mm. the, the fans that were going, they were, they were so passionate because, you know, they're literally the backs were against the wall. They're no home ground. You know, the players they had were the players they had. They were not getting any more. They were bumbling along near the bottom of the league. And yeah. it's, uh, but the, the passion was just astonishing. And it's, uh, you know, it's that kind of like, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And I think at that, that point, it was like, we were, I think it was the season before or two seasons before they nearly went out of the league entirely. And it's, uh, yeah. it's that kind of, you know, that kind of passion is like, you know, this, it means so much. And going up to Darlington, I remember, I think the first game we went to was Exeter. Um, yes, I was just going to mention that, yeah. And that, yeah. that was literally, I think, Brian were like second bottom. The team was just whoever was left. <laughs> from the season before and you know and things were looking dire but yeah all the support from the sports that went down there and stuff it was a it was a real eye-opener to sort of see football and and football sort of support based nothing on position or anything it's literally on identity and, and when Brighton fans that were traveling then you know it was like that's all they had because they didn't have a home ground to go to all they had was the Saturday or Tuesday night supporting their team no matter where they were. And it was, uh, it was, yeah, it really harkened me back to like Salisbury days and non-league days because it was such a, almost a grassroots movement because there was nothing left. Yeah. And that, that extra game was good fun. I think it was an evening game, wasn't it? We just drove yeah. off, I think just, just on a, on a night trip there. That was good fun. I, th- I remember Robert Fleck getting some abuse as well from the Albion fans, something to do with scaring the kids, wasn't it? It was, it was some yeah. kind of... <laughs> to, to be fair to him, yeah, he, he wasn't an attractive man, was he? He was a... <laughs> He was like sort of seven foot four and a, yeah, he's been hit by the ball too many yeah. times in the face. <laughs> 
Um, and it's interesting you mentioned Salisbury because that's one of the other trips we did in those days. Because I mean, I was I was an exiled Albion fan, still in the same region for TV broadcasts for the local news and everything. So I'd, that that season you mentioned, um, ninety well ninety six ninety seven and actually ninety seven ninety eight as well. We were lucky. Doncaster were were so bad. Um, those seasons I was in exile. I was working at the cinema most most days. So the whole thing unfolded just on the regional TV. But, but me not being in the actual Sussex area. And that was all a bit surreal. Um, but it, it was certainly, yeah, backs against the wall sort of stuff. But it was it was great fun. Um, in, in adversity, you can enjoy stuff. Uh, the, but Salisbury, you mentioned, we also did a trip there, didn't we? I think we saw Salisbury Hull in the FA Cup first oh, round. Oh, the FA round, Cup another, first round, yeah. yeah. Another random trip. I believe I was late for work as a result due to traffic jams. <laughs> oh, well, you know, that's more <laughs> important. I break the habit of a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they're, they're good good times. And then, I mean, I've obviously moved moved on. I moved up to London, and um, the Albion have come on in, in in leaps and bounds since things have changed. Southampton, it's changed as well. Of course, you've moved out of the Dell, gone into St Mary's, um, and you had a, I think you had a season ticket, didn't you? Once once you got to St Mary's, is that right? Yeah. Well, I, I basically I, I got a season ticket as soon as we dropped into the third division, hmm. and uh, and then I thought, yeah, I want to. I want to be on this uh, journey because I wanted to see matches against what I would call proper teams, you know, at the mm. time, you know, Hartlepool and Stockport County and, you know, all these guys. And, uh, and, and it was affordable. And I think that's always been the issue with me is you know, I've never worked a, a well-paying job. So going to a football mm. match in the Premier League or what have you, it's like, it's, it's a serious investment. And sometimes, you know, I don't think that, clubs altogether understand that that it's not a it's not a cheap option even if you have a season ticket it's a not a cheap option so yeah as soon as you went down into third division you know I, I went had season tickets for that and then back in the championship and then a few seasons in in the premier league but the the two seasons in the in league one are my by far and away the best seasons I, i've ever had sporting saints it was so much fun going to see proper going to proper old grounds and having a great old time and it's a yeah, it helped that we were winning for once, but you know, it was a, uh, it was just, it was just great, and uh, I kind of, I kind of miss those days. And you know, when we're in a relegation battle, I'm kind of, I'm half rooting for us to go down, just to, just to go and sort of see some more affordable football. Yeah, and although football has become a little bit more affordable at the top level in terms of the cap on away games and stuff mm -hmm. like that, there have been some measures put in place. Ultimately, it is still. A completely different beast to, to what you're describing and and I think Peter you probably gather by now from what's been said so far that Matt's heart is kind of it's split between Saints obviously and a genuine love of the more grassroots side of the professional game if you like um, and it's obviously it's, it's, ma it's manifested itself from early on Sorry, go on. I'm not a big fan of Premier League either I go to Brighton and I've got a season ticket but I'm not a massive fan of the Premier League itself and I've owned about the Premier League taking all the money for years so I'd be hypocritical if I changed my mind now Brightoner in it I think it's ridiculous the amount of money in the top flight compared to the lower leagues and everything and actually when Brighton aren't playing I'd quite often go to Barnet over the years because my local club growing up or um, places like Boreham Wood are quite near where I used to live as well or down here Dartford's quite near where I live now um, and mm -hmm. actually annoyingly I live in Shelton I've not been able to get to a game because of various various issues and coronavirus but I'm hoping to get to a game there as well when I'm kind of when we're able to go to games properly again and yeah, it's a, a lot of like kind of what, yeah, lower leagues a bit, almost a bit, 
I shouldn't feel bad saying it awkwardly because Brighton have been there so recently, but kind of, yeah, kind of non-Premier League games I actually enjoy, especially when you're genuinely neutral as well. You can just enjoy the football. There's no even kind of feeling that you want one team to win. So I just hmm. can relax and enjoy the game rather than worrying about the stress of watching Brighton, which is generally pretty horrendous most of the time, even when we win. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and that's it. I, mean, I think all three of us are ground hoppers, essentially. I think we've we've all been to tons of grounds. Pete has been roughly the same as me, something like eighty six of the ninety two or whatever it is, along those lines. And Matt, through your not partly through Saints, but mainly through other other visits to other grounds, you've been knocking up um, some miles, haven't you? Um, after I lost, well, not lost touch with you, but wasn't in as regular contact with you, um, things changed for you, didn't they? Apart from going along to watch Saints for a few years you ended up going on some interesting trips and taking a different direction with what you were doing with football beyond what I knew. Um, the word books came up <laughs> into conversation amongst other things. So tell us about that. After I left Southampton, aside from the Southampton side of things, Southampton FC side of things, what, um, what happened? What, what did you get up to? Tell us about that. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was kind of, it happened accidentally, but in the summer of 2014, I think um, two things happened. One was I got my renewal for my season ticket at St Mary's and it was, it was so expensive and to get an affordable, or not an affordable seat, but the next affordable seat, I would have to move far, far away from the other people I used to go with. And I just mm. thought, this isn't worth it. it it's, uh, it's, this is too much money and I'm not even going to be able to sit with the other people I usually go with and exactly the same time as that happened my beloved Salisbury went bankrupt and just disappeared and um yeah for an entire season they they didn't exist and I kind of had a, a footballing nervous breakdown I think you'd probably call it and you sort of think well I can't afford to go to see Saints play and I can't go and see Salisbury play mm. so what do I do so I decided to go on random trips to places to try and find what I would call like the, you know the Victoria Park feeling, which is which is Salisbury's old ground, where it used to be called Victoria Park, and it was like yeah. I wanted to feel like I did when I went to see them with my granddad. So I just decided, well, I'm, I'm just going to go on some random trips, pick. Just I like the idea of that, and off I'd go. And um, and I started writing a blog based on those experiences. And sort of about four or five months in, someone sort of said you should start writing this in, in into a book. I'll, I'll see whether you could. And I. I did, sent off to publishers and one of them came back and wanted to do it. And I'm now three books in, uh, all based loosely on just random themes of just wanting to find that feeling of like a community and meaning and belonging that you sort of used to feel when I was a kid at Salisbury. You know, it's taken me to some random places and yeah, seen some very strange teams uh, play, but it's been <laughs> a, it's been such an amazing adventure and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have happened weirdly if Saints hadn't put the season ticket prices up and Salisbury mm. gone bust, it's like that, that combination left me completely bereft. And I thought, right, I need to, I need to fall in love with football again. Cause I think I had by that point, I was, I was kind of almost done uh, just sort of those two blows in the same, almost the same week. Uh, so I thought, right, I'm going to, I'm going to start traveling. And, uh, mm. and yeah, I've gone some <laughs> crazy places. Well, you said random trips. I mean, it's in, and chasing it's basically chasing the nostalgia, isn't it? It's chasing the the feeling of the past, yeah. and and I think that's what something we all kind of seek to do in one way or another. In your case, it's it's that particular element of your footballing past. That's it. That's interesting to hear. I mean, obviously Salisbury itself, 
you mentioned the word random trips. You could you could mention the Darlington Brighton games yeah. pretty much fell into that category as well. Um, and I mean, it's it's. I mean, you you, you ended up there's a big association with Accrington Stanley, wasn't there? And also something to do with um, a more international flavour as well. Tell us about that side of things because this was to do with the first yeah, well, book, wasn't it? Yeah. So the first book, Accrington, kind of they became my surrogate Salisbury um, when oh. Salisbury didn't exist, and uh, I just went along to one random. It was it was a uh, Accrington Wimbledon was the first first game I went to, and um, I just fell in love with the place and the people, and they were so friendly and so welcoming, and uh, didn't matter I'd never been before. B came from Southampton, uh, you know it, it, they didn't care. They they were just like you've come all this way. And you know they, you know, say say hello in the pub and whatnot. And I, I started to go to a few games, and then went to a couple of away games to watch them play. And the more I got to know them and the people, the more I just sort of, uh, yeah, I just loved the place. It was just uh, everything that football stood for me. And as much as you know, as an entity, they weren't financially viable yet. They they batted well above their average season after season after season, and uh. And it just it just reminded me of that kind of that old school, you know, where where football clubs were just basically just about keeping their heads above water as a community interest rather than as a business empire. And and I, I just yeah, I just fell in love with Accrington and was lucky enough to I went my first away game was then playing Northampton, and uh and the fans I was speaking to said look we haven't won here since we've re-entered the league in 2004 and a bunch of them were saying you know I've not even seen a score here so you know you picked a really really bad game to come along and uh and uh and then they won 5-4 and it was the most it was the most hilarious thing I've I've ever experienced in my life it's a they absolutely trounced them they were like 5-1 up and then let three goals in right at the end but it was a it was just talking about taking the boxes off that's that's incredible it's ridiculous so, so that that's the kind of story I absolutely love. The fact you're from Southampton and suddenly you've got this love affair completely randomly with Accrington Stanley at the other end of the country. They've got they've got this sort of um, this certain persona about them, haven't they? I think in every everybody's consciousness of the uh, the milk advert and everything else, yeah. and the fact that Web Boston came back from from the dead. But even in the, that's beyond that, isn't it? It's into the the more recent era. Uh, it's after all that's happened that this comes up, and it, it really is quite bizarre. Um, they are a small club, they've got, um, but they've got a good ultras uh, group, haven't they? As well, if I remember rightly. Um, so they yeah, make they a bit do. of noise too. Yeah, they, they're um, they've got a very small but loyal fan base. That I mean, mm. basically from 2014 when I started going to watch them to, to date, there's mm. like a 700 fans who will just turn up week in week out. They could be playing in the Northern League, they could be playing in the Premier League. They're going to go every week, and um, and they built on that. But basically, the entire club is founded and run by sort of, you know a bunch of uh, sort of willing volunteers and this seven hundred, you know, because I mean they're like four miles from Blackburn, five miles from Burnley. You know, you can get a twenty-minute train journey in Manchester. You know, there's a million and one reasons why you shouldn't go and watch Accrington Stanley play. You can go mm. so many other places, and you know. The other appeal is the smaller the club, the more friendly it does tend to be. You mentioned Burnley and Blackburn. They've got a reputation for not being particularly friendly. 
particularly to Southerners. Um, but you've described the exact opposite in relation to Accrington welcoming you. I, I know there's also the context of you're not there as a fan of a, a rival team. But um, did you, do you find that that's the case, that generally, broadly speaking, um, fans of, of clubs, smaller clubs, are friendlier in general, from your yeah, experience? I think so. I think so. I think they're... Um... I think a lot of the time when I've been travelling, they're, they're flabbergasted that someone would bother to come up from Southampton to go and see, mm. you know, a team playing. And it's kind of like a, yeah, you're just you're more like a just a weird, a weird anomaly, <laughs> and they don't really understand what's going on. But yeah, no, it's uh, they are much friendlier. I think because they're just it's born out of passion and identity and pride in in their little team, and if anyone shows you the slightest bit of interest. Then, then they wanna they wanna befriend you, and they or they wanna at least have a, a pint and chat to you about what, what you're doing. It's the thing I love most about going to games, particularly away games, is meeting people in pubs from the local area, getting to chat, find out about their team, find out about their local area, the dynamics and the the quirks and the cultures of the local area and the and the club and the fans. And Peter, obviously, you've been to loads of games as well, um, all over the country. Would you agree with that? Going along with this as well. Yeah, generally the good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's always. I think it's the great thing about the vast majority of football fans are just like just like you and me, all of us. You know, it's kind of like they just want to go and watch football, and you know, there's always the idiots who cause trouble and that sort of thing. But most people are happy to talk about football. Yes, it's like they obviously on the day they'll want their team to beat your team, but generally they most of them are pretty knowledgeable and will chat about football and we're quite up for yeah for a chat. I was going to say I've I've not actually been to Accrington because I did try to go once. And uh, it was called off. They were playing Barnet. We were up there anyway. So we decided to go to go watch them play Barnet. And it was called off about an hour before kickoff because of a torrential downpour and then not having the best pitch, I don't think. So uh, I've not yet made it yeah. to Lappington. But I was looking up there. Right. It starts the season. They're just outside the playoffs for, in League One, which for a team of their size is frankly ridiculous. I mean, they're competing against the likes of Sunderland and Ipswich and teams like that. And, you know, it's like to get to be on the edge of the playoffs and actually to have survived quite comfortably since they got up there. It's a phenomenal achievement from um, John Coleman. Yeah, I mean, yeah, long-term manager, of course, over two spells, isn't yeah. it? Um, but they've, they've, yeah, I mean, this is probably about as high as they've been, isn't it, under in their current incarnation? It, this uh, is the highest they've been in any incarnation. This is, this right. is, um, I think, in their previous incarnation, they, they all, well, they're in the, like, the third division north, so by by default they're in the third tier. But as soon as they went mm. to four divisions, they were down in the fourth, and they never, never went went up. So. Yeah. Being promoted as champions as they were to get into League One was was just unheard of. And uh, yeah, John Coleman is is someone I think who uh, when 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 a, a manager gets a club and a club gets a manager, both get a lot more grace and they're given um, a lot more time to to you know fix the, the problems. And I will always, never ever sort of um, forget one of my favourite trips. To see Accrington play was at Pompey, and uh, it was when Pompey were going for the to get promoted out of, out of League Two, and um, and just the silence on a full Fratton Park when Accrington scored a winner in the last minute, it was just glorious, and it's like you know, uh, their memories that will never fade. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Also, the added bit about the Southampton fans seeing it as well, I suppose, it's like yeah, meant even more on that basis as well to stun Paul. And it is it's a weird thing because. I would never ever have gone to see Saints play Fratton Park. Never. I would have just. I don't, I'm not one of those people. I don't, I'm not really mad keen on 
big derby matchups and stuff. And uh, I think I, I would have not enjoyed it because I'm just thinking I'm going to get my head caved in on the way home. But I was walking around with an Accrington scarf on and they were coming up and shaking my hand. And, uh, you know, as long as I didn't open the mouth, they, they, they thought I was a hardcore <laughs> Lancastrian, you know. Uh, so it was a, uh, yeah, it was, it was just so strange to be able to walk around it. It's almost like I was like, like a invisible that I could just uh, walk around this place. And if they'd only known. <laughs> the front yeah. of the place I've been most, I felt most threatened of, you know, kind of in, because normally even Palace, I think it's so policed these days. There's no real chance of much happening, really. I kind of, you kind of just, you know, you can get away with it. But yeah, Fratton, the one, the first time I went there was, yeah, pretty unpleasant. And it's a horrible ground as well. Yeah, the away end especially. The away end is yeah. uh, oh. designed to make you not have a good time. You know, they, they don't want you to yeah. enjoy yourself, do they? They want you just to be, uh, just to get there, get your money and then go again. Broadly enough, I've been there quite a few times, uh, obviously as a Brighton fan, but also um, with mates who are Liverpool and Newcastle fans. And that was an interesting experience. Ultimately, it's... Um, it's just a, a toned down version of what it was like when we were there because we don't much like Portsmouth either. Um, it usually gets a bit lively. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it, that, that you, you just said the whole dynamic of the fact that you're not perceived as a man from Southampton, mm. the treatment's completely different. And, it, and those for fans who you would otherwise be sort of like bang for blood with would, would suddenly become these more just congenial people that we just have a conversation with and it's no problem at all. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, um, it used to really bother me because um, my 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 wife's granddad used to co- was you know would go and watch football in the fifties and um and basically the deal was if Saints were at home they go to the Dale watch Saints if Saints were away they go to Fratton Park and watch Pompey and they'd stand with all the Pompey fans mm. and watch Pompey play and then the following week they'd be back at the Dale and uh and there was no problem and then there's this this trumped up mythology of rivalry that was never ever there it's just been made in in the 60s and 70s when you know football hooliganism was a yeah kind of well Brighton Palace was pretty much the same as well I mean there was never any it was only in the 70s that I really started it's not really and obviously because Mm. neither team really had a rival and they were kind of like they're born out of that but partly and then the the, um, Mullery Venable stuff but yeah there wasn't any sort of issues as far I don't think anyone did that quite that sort of thing because it was quite a way away but it's yeah it's kind of yeah, the, the, the folklore is it's from 76, isn't it? But actually, apparently, from somebody I spoke to, apparently it goes back a couple of years before that. There was trouble from 74 onwards on a major scale. But in terms of rivalries, the, the London games are always, they've got that derby feel to them in general. And Palace is just the epitome of that, I suppose. But um, sorry, going back back to you, Peter. You're saying. I was going to say, there were, I mean, things like there are some rivalries where like Everton-Liverpool sounds like it's not as bad as some of the mm. ones, you know, not as kind of vitriolic, you know, there are, you know, families who are a lot more who support one or the other. And, you know, it actually is much more friendly, whereas obviously like, there are other ones that you hear about kind of a lot yeah. more. And, and what Matt said as, as well about going to Fratton Park and then to the Dell, this is um, a story I've heard countless times up and down the country. Uh, same with, I think, West Ham and Millwall. I've heard people say they used to go to both. Uh, Manchester, mm. Liverpool. Um, you said that's more of a friendly one. much, presumably. Yeah, yeah, I think it was it was the culture just to to do that to go to one game then go to the other and just just watch whatever the football was. It was about the football. Now it's fan culture as well. It changes. It's for good and bad. There's a bit of bit of each really. But um, but going back to your um, your story with the blogs, how did the blogs then turn into a book? 
um, somebody must have taken an interest, I guess. Well, yeah, I, I was, um, it was a, a journalist from Glasgow, actually. I'd, I'd done, um, I'd done this uh, sort of, it's weird, it's, it's kind of a long story. I'll, I'll try and keep it as condensed as possible, but there was um, a Saints player called Dan Seaborn. I don't know if you remember him, but yeah. he, yeah. he, Fullback, wasn't it? yeah, he was attacked in a nightclub and sort of fractured his skull and was in a really bad way and was like in, in a coma for a little while. And they didn't know it was touch and go whether he'd either live and whether he'd ever play football again. And weirdly enough, this, the same night in the same club, one of my friends who I knew from uh, from the cinema, she was out and she was sexually assaulted the same night from the same venue. So it was like this. And basically over time, uh, he got back to playing, went out on loan from Saints like Charlton and Bournemouth who were in League One at the time. And uh, and because, because they were sort of connected by the thing, him getting better and getting back to playing helped her go through a court case and start to heal herself. Right. Right. And um, right. so I just stupidly thinking, oh, what's that, what's I going to do? I just emailed Charlton at the time where he was playing and said, you know, said, explain what happened. And uh, she, you know, they, they met up, became friends, and then he got transferred to Partick Thistle up in Scotland. So we went up for a weekend and uh, went to watch him play at Partick Thistle and sort of met up. And the story, I wrote the blog about that and this journalist wanted to know about it. And, and hmm. so she read all the blogs and stuff and said, you know, you should you should turn this into a book because it's uh, it's really interesting. So that's what I did. I, I just sort of started, instead of just putting it up on the internet, I would, I would write it down and try and turn it more into a, you know, sort of taking the blogish elements out of it and just turning it into hmm. a bit more of a, a, a text. And, a, and yeah, then come the end of the season, I. I sort of, I found this publisher up in this Edinburgh-based publisher who wanted to publish it, and and off we went, and it was a, uh, yeah, it was great, it was surreal, surreal experience to sort of go from that to. What, what was what was the book called? That just in case anyone's interested, yeah, is the, it available the, as well? Yeah, yeah, the first book's hmm. called Another Bloody Saturday, which is a, uh, my publisher's a, uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek reference to you know the grumbling fans who like you know oh we're going to get stuffed again but of course they go and then they go the next week and the week after you know so and uh yeah and it, it spans some a few adventures i've had before that season and then just yeah lots of lots of adventures around the country um that that 2014-15 season a lot of accrington yeah partick thistle there's there's a whole bunch of different stuff uh all, all, all the home nations really apart from Northern Ireland so it was a hmm. it was a great experience excellent and you've mentioned that you've you're now up to three books so yeah. what are the other two because I, I must confess I don't know about these I'm rubbish on Facebook I've probably missed some stuff somewhere but um I've, I've, I've not been in touch recently as well so tell us about those and where, where can I get hold of them as well yeah they're, they're all sort of like available either sort of online through sort of Waterstones Amazon if you want to go down that mm. route and pretty much any of the major bookstores online especially they can you can get them and um, the second yeah. one's called minnows united and it's kind of like an extension of the first book it's but it's more episodic so there's just like each chapter is a different club and a different experience uh i went to um luxembourg to see f91 Dudelanger play university college dublin in the first qualifying round of the europa league 
and that was a <laughs> that was a blast. Um, and yeah, I, I also there's some stuff about Palestine, Palestinian um, football. Um, mm. There's what else? Macclesfield. I, I, I knew one of the, the guy that was sort of um, the managing director of Macclesfield when they were in the conference trying to get up into the football league. Mm. And a lot of a lot of what he was talking about then has come to pass now. Right. Uh, right. And it's some sort of like this perennial, like he, they had a bad owner then, then they had a good mm. owner, then they had another bad owner, and they couldn't survive the bad owner the second time around. Um, mm. So, yes, yeah, so it's just looking at football Berwick Rangers as well. The, the, the only Scottish team that are English. That's a really interesting little uh, little story yeah. of just the how how they've been embraced. It's like you know how on earth could a team, an English team, be embraced by Scotland Scottish football fans? But they are, and even though they're in the Lowland League now, they're still hmm. yeah, they're still sort of very much a Scottish team, even though they have to you know they're from England. Yeah, so. yeah. it's and, an and interesting third, quirk, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, and the third book. It's called Barcelona to Bucky Thistle. And I wanted to take, because my, my grandmother comes from the Highlands of Scotland and I didn't know much about her. So I decided to sort of like undertake exploring her past and the Highland League at the same time. So going to Fort William and Wick Anyone, Academy. Who, who, just, lost, like, who continued off like about 8-0, aren't they, Fort William? They yeah, they, they, they went four years without winning a game. Yeah. But you can't get relegated from the Highland League, so that's the only thing that saved them. Well, we we complain about our results, bloody hell! <laughs> yeah, they 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 um they went from you know they they, they kind of held their own just about, and then the shinty is the most popular sport in that part of Scotland, so they were always struggling to get players, and they're so remote and sort of cut off from everywhere else that they just struggled for numbers, and um but they kept ploughing on, even though they were getting battered by teams who were. You know, they were playing Cove Rangers, who got promoted into League Two and the Scottish Pyramid, won that straight away. And they're now at the top of League One. So, you know, they're playing, they have to play some very, very good teams um, with very, very you know good players because there's nowhere else for them to play unless you go to Inverness or Aberdeen. There's nowhere else you just stay in the Highland League if you're a player up there. And uh, So it's a very, very good standard of football, even though it's, you know, fifth tier of Scottish football. Okay, so so it's another bloody Saturday. It's the first one. What was the second one called again? Minnows United. Minnows United, and then third one is Barcelona. Barcelona to Bucky, Bucky Thistle, yeah. Thistle, yeah, yeah. All right, I'll look up the other two because I've got the first one and I've promptly lost it because we did a refurb on our. <laughs> Who knows where it is now? I've, I've got to dig it out somewhere. I still haven't read it. I do apologise, but I am going to get around to that. But I love these kind of stories though, and I really hope. Um, uh, that people will be interested they can look it up and um, and read it themselves as well um i think football actually in terms of um, publications i think it's becoming a richer market i don't know if you read much other stuff about uh, football up and down in various scenarios but i'm thinking it's getting a more densely populated with good uh, books market um would, would you say the same we had, we had an author on about uh, first black footballing pioneers in uh, the okay, yeah. future of the 92 recently. That was interesting. Um, mm. Price of Football with Kieran Maguire, who's a Brighton fan. He's um, he's published one on the football finance side of things, which is always interesting. And uh, just a lot of the international stuff's interesting as well. Um, so, I mean, do, do you read a lot of other stuff, football related? Yeah, I, I do. And I, I think there's like a, there's been a move away from just reading biography of the, you know, 
Jamie Vardy or what have you. It's like, because I mean, they're, they're all exactly the same. Jamie Vardy is slightly different, but you know, they're all pretty much yeah. the same story. Ghost written. And all yeah, that, and yeah. people, people yeah. want a bit more substance with their football. And there's like a, a publisher called Pitch Publishing who do some great stuff. Yeah. And um, mm. there's, uh, I know a couple of guys have just, one's released a book on the 1982 Brazilian team. It's like the, you know, the best team to never have won the World Cup. And um, yeah. another guy's done like a, a book on uh, the European Cup Winners' Cup and just saying like, the, the crazy history of this league, this, this cup competition that doesn't exist anymore, but was like a real proper random, random sort of competition where anyone could find themselves playing against anyone from, you know, tiny Icelandic minnow cup winner playing sort of Liverpool. And it, it, it's just, there was no... Uh, no sort of Champions League qualifying. It was just like names in a hat, out you come, off you go. And it's a, so yeah, I, I do like reading books like that and sort of stuff about, mm. yeah, it's lower league stuff. And just, um, there's this wonderful book called Pointless, which is about a season following East Sterling. And um, where <laughs> basically uh, the, 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 the premise was everyone had told this guy, there's no point to East Sterling. They, they never win anything. They're never going to do anything. Why do they exist? And he spent a book trying to just sort of explain why they why they're not pointless. They do they they have they have meaning if it's just for a small number of fans. But you know, he used to say, well, you know, how when does a club lose meaning if you have under a thousand fans? Or you know, Southampton would not have any meaning because they don't have sixty thousand fans like Arsenal. You know, it's like who, who defines what meaning is? And I love those sort of books which sort of just explore sort of football that is just based on that community spirit, which is what, you know, it's where it's how we all got sucked in. It's like, you know, uh, someone took us to see a football match to start off with and we loved the, mm. the feeling of belonging and, and, and that's sort of a, that to me is far more important than, than anything else. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. how many people we've had on the show and talked about kind of, yeah, that where they started off and just that, that first game when you kind of like, you, it's just that feeling that you can't quite, yeah, it kind of, it almost, it's really hard to put a finger exactly on what it is, but it's just so, amazing that you kind of just that you know like i know some people obviously don't but a lot of people are just kind of like completely you know kind of taken in by it straight away and it's like why would you ever change and certainly my first game i get brighton game i was never going to support anyone else from that moment um and is it, for me it's like i'm a big collector of football programs and i i can open a program from like you know when i went to see salisbury my granddad in 1984 or but earlier to see saints play and you can sort of you can smell the things you know the, the, the hot dogs mm. cooking or, or cigarette smoke and alcohol and you know it, it, it's just sort of like it, it, it's such a it's bigger than just yeah it's bigger than just a game of football it's 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 about the, the whole atmosphere and, and and how it makes you feel and I think that's what I like exploring is, is seeing how football clubs no matter how big or small how, how it enriches people's lives and you know keeps I communities afloat you know I think us, I mean, people often say, oh, we, we should buddy up with America, we're peas in the pod. But for me, I, I very much more think we're peas in the pod with the rest of the Northern European nations. Because I think what we've got in common, and football is manifest in this really, is this, this sense of nostalgia, this sense of collectors, uh, of people that have interest in this quirky, it could be anything, it could be any subject. In, in our case, we're talking about football. This, this um, collectability factor. They want to tick off all the grounds they've gone to. They want to collect programs. They want to um, to write about things. Uh, uh, some of it really obscure subjects in some cases. And 
people love people do love doing that in northern europe and i think we're one of a few nations that do that and we've got a lot in common with the scandinavians the northern europeans of holland and germany ultimately what i'm saying is we're a bunch of geeks <laughs> yeah yeah like, we why, really would, why would why would he go to accrington to watch barnet play when he's a brighton fan it's like because he's a collector of experiences he, he wants the the experience to go and see another ground and see another game and because we're all ultimately, I think we're collectors of the experience of going to a football match because we know how much it means. So you want as much of it as you can. You, you, it's like a, it's kind of like a strange footballing habit where you just want to, you have that taste and you want to continue to yeah. feel like you belong to this wonderful blob, which is... Which I mean, is when all done, we just talk about football, basically. I mean, you know, you kind of, you can love your club, but also I mean, that's just, I just love watching football full stop as well. It's kind of... You know, kind of the more you know, you can go and watch a really dull nil-nil, and it's still a quite you know, it's quite a good afternoon out and in a random place or whatever, and it's like quite a nice, nice day. But then occasionally you'll get the ridiculous, you know, like the five-four you were saying earlier about, you know, kind of, and it's yeah, and, it, and all of that makes up for that makes up for the. It's a bit like when Brighton have a dread you know, run of dreadful games and suddenly like beat someone unexpectedly, and it's like, oh, this is a such a yeah, you kind of like you you, you it's worth going to all the other rubbish to go and actually see that one great experience that you can then say I was there for that mm. game when we did that when we beat Arsenal beat Man U in the Premier League you know that sort of thing hmm. yeah I mean for me biggest regrets amongst those would probably just be things things like the grounds I didn't get to see before they went you know uh, Roker Park Essen Park um, I'm glad I did see the Dell and I managed to get along to Highbury just before they uh, moved out of there but, uh, but in fact the Dell was such an amazing ground to go to because we went to two games, didn't we? I think we went to a, a board draw with Fulham, who I think were trying to survive in the division. It was a scrappy yeah. game, and there was a cut match with Charlton. I can't remember the result. But ultimately, I think one game, we might have been down the side, but one behind the goal, the corridor was so narrow. The sort of like the bricked, bricked up, concreted walkway through was ridiculously narrow. Pretty sure that wouldn't pass safety certificates now. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was from a bygone era. And I, yeah. I, I know they had to move because, yeah. You know, yeah. or spend a life in the third or fourth division, which wouldn't have bothered me. But you know, for the for a club that had mm. been in the top flight for so long, I, I understood why they had to move. But you can't you can't replace atmosphere like that. You, you you can try, but it's atmosphere isn't volume of support. Atmosphere is yeah. tactile. It's, yeah. it's it's wood. It's brick. It's it's seats. It's stands and stuff. So you know. Yeah. yeah, I think firstly the ridiculous way that Brighton went about it, obviously, and with the old owners helped in a way because if we moved from the Goldston to the Amex, if people there still have been people muttering, even though it was run down and there was there's still been people going like, oh, why are we in this new sanitized stadium? It was, wasn't like when I was in the North Stand at the Goldstone, but obviously because we, we took 14 years via two grounds and all that, yeah. it was like everyone obviously was delighted the Amex game, and even <laughs> delighted, even delighted for Withdean, which was barely a football ground. I mean, it was you know, but it still was you know, it, it made the journey worth it whereas there wasn't any sort of issue about moving on from with Dean and there wasn't an issue about moving on from the Goldstone because well there was but it wasn't like it was issue at the new owners yeah I mean now now we finally got to where we, we wanted to be with a new home the with Dean story now is something to look back on with fondness ironically it, it was a ridiculous ground I mean there was no atmosphere virtually everyone was getting rained on and it seemed to rain every week um 
there were so many different reasons and obviously the stress of knowing it wasn't sustainable so many different reasons why it was not a great place to be and yet we've got fond memories of it we had a laugh there was some funny gallows humor there was some emotions in 12 years which my yeah. previous <laughs> from the first nine years i started watching the club at the goldston and then gillingham we dropped from to getting to the playoffs in what is now the championship my first season to almost getting relegated out the league and then we won four promotions in 12 seasons it's like that was a yeah. yeah, phenomenal, really. Actually, speaking of the Dell, I've just realised I went three times because, of course, I came back to Saints um, for the final, final game at the yeah. Dell. Because yeah. you, you guys have beaten Man U and very appropriately, Letizia scored the winner, I think, if I remember rightly. In yeah, the he scored, he scored the last, yeah, last goal. It was against Arsenal. 3-2, the last oh, Arsenal. game That's of it, yeah. the, um, yeah. the Dell. And then, yeah, there was, and then, the Saints played Brighton like the final yeah, we, farewell. That's right, because it was a, it was a, originally the very first fixture at the stadium, wasn't it? I yeah. think it was the reason why they chose to have a, a post-season friendly, which is pretty unusual. Yeah. Um, and if I remember rightly, it was one nil, and Letizia scored again. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. It was, oh, yeah, because it was, it was one of those one of those games where it was just so emotional. I don't, re- I don't recall a single minute of the match at all. Ah, right. I remember. Well, maybe all, I'm all the I man remember to speak was, to you. <laughs> yeah, all I remember was. Um, uh, sort of with about sort of 15 minutes to go, you could start hearing like the crack of all the seats being broken off, so that <laughs> yeah, the, 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 right. the guys could take them home. Um, yeah, because it was basically like it was it was a given. It's like this is a free for all. You just if you want your seat, you take your seat because we're not going to un- unscrew it for you. Just you know, off you go. So I remember it was just like yeah, it was like a sort of firecrackers going off as people just smashing their seats <laughs> and getting ready to, yeah. to go. That's right. I was in the where, where the home end is behind the goal opposite the weird slanty seats the other end is the must be the west oh no the east end isn't it i think it was east end yeah near the arches road yeah yeah Yeah, that's right so i i think for that friendly game i was in the south um so i'd actually been in three different stands three out of the four stands as it turned out and yes i remember that crack of the seats in fact i may possibly have done the same to help someone i handed a seat to a random stranger and i think i also ended up with some turf for another brighton fan who had a trowel with him and your mate took the turf, didn't he? Is he still got yeah. it in his garden? Yeah, we, he, he planted <laughs> in his back garden. So like, it, just, it just morphed into part of his back garden. Yeah, so... He can never move now. He can't move. <laughs> yeah, I think he has, sadly. But uh, yeah, it's oh, just... Uh, no. that uh, it, it still lives on that grass, even though uh, the new owners probably have no clue as to uh, I was going to say, did from. the new owners move in and find a curious gap in the lawn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I think his, uh, his wife was... Put, her, put the nail on that one and said, no, you're not doing that. You're <laughs> leaving it behind. Brilliant. Uh, well, happy memories. Um, so those books, I'll, I'll definitely recommend checking out. As far as it goes with um, the next match the Albion have got, when we played you guys in League One, you could see the potential for Southampton to zoom straight back up in the course of time to the top flight. We didn't dream we'd ever be there, able to get back there until that stadium was sorted. It finally did get sorted. And through the years, we've made our way up. We're now in our fourth season. Um, the games have largely been draws between the two sides, haven't they? Um, and I think we've both given as good as we've got. I think both teams have had good and bad performances. The head-to-head record, apparently, is that we've won 20, drawn 18, and you've won 35. So you've got the edge on us, which I'm not surprised to see because uh, largely you've been the, the more superior team in uh, either in cup matches or occasionally in the head-to-heads in divisions. Um but we're playing again tomorrow night, as we record this on Sunday, um, Monday night kickoff um, at the Amex. Um, 
I know you're not following it regularly from a very close point of view. No one is at the moment with COVID, obviously. But in general, you, you don't have the season ticket now, but you've been, been keeping an eye on the games, of course. Um, what do you reckon is going to happen in this one? And how much of it will depend on Danny Ings being available? Yeah, it's kind of, it's a weird one. I thought we wouldn't, you know, we, we wouldn't win another game until Ings came back because he's been so integral. But, um, mm. but no, he, he kind of like, sort of Walcott's turned up at exactly the right time. So Walcott is a foil behind yeah. um, Shea Adams, has worked brilliantly. And um, I think, I mean, the, the, the team and the club are in a good place at the moment. It feels like Hasenhutl has finally got the club where he wants it to be. And, um, and there is a feeling, it feels like sort of Pochettino and Koeman years, where it feels like mm. they're playing good football. There's, there's that feel good factor because everyone seems to be, there's no, there's no sort of conflict and there's not, because there's nothing worse than a club when you're all trying to move in one direction, but they're trying to sort of teams are yeah. sort of behind the scenes are pulling each other apart. And uh, that doesn't, isn't happening at the moment. So we're in a good place and you can see on the pitch players just express themselves and players that two or three years ago were awful are really stepping up and doing doing some doing really well especially the defense like sort of Bednarek and Vestergaard and all these guys they they were useless two years ago and uh and yeah. now they're, they're they're solid and I think you know we're we're, we're too high up the league where where, where we are but I, I think we're going to have a good season and we're, we're as likely to win comfortably as do we did against Man United and just sort of like play really good football but just concede and um so I think it's going to be an entertaining game. That's for sure. Fair play to the board because, I mean, there's an awful lot of Premier League boards who would have sacked Hudson Hustle after that Leicester game last year, given you were in the bottom three at the time and struggling. I mean, Watford, for example, I'm pretty sure would have sacked up their man- the manager then, for example, given they're the ones who would probably have the most um, trigger-happy in the Premier League last season. But there's quite a few I think probably would have done as well. And they stood by him. And he's, uh, to be fair, in the last year, there's not been many better managers in Premier League, I'd say. I think it's 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 amazing um, that that match, weirdly enough, has made the current Southampton mm-hmm. team. It's, uh, I mean, no one wants to lose nine nil, but the way you react to it, yeah. and from what from what I've heard, you know, um, Hootle and, and the, the 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 chairman basically spoke for forty eight hours after that match, and they just said, "What I want to do is this: give me the chance." And they said, "Yeah," and. They bought into it and he has, you know, against all odds, because how could you turn a team around who gets trounced like that? But he's done it and he hasn't bought a vast amount of players. You know, the core of that squad were the team that got absolutely hammered. So, you know, they're, they're, they're in a good place and they play good football without Ings. It's, it's a knife edge whether, you know, which way the game's going to go. But, um, you know, and I don't think Ings is going to be I don't think he'll feature tomorrow if he does. I mean, he's not going to be match fit. So there's no point in throwing him in, even if he is even halfway there. So I think it's going to be another really even match. And I think probably it's going to go to form and there'll be an entertaining draw. Yeah. I mean, we've been pretty well matched, apart from a couple of games with the Amex where we've, we've imploded. Where Well, there's the game where Andoni got sent off, where we were really in the ascendancy. And out the blue, he just did a mad, mad moment, got himself he's sent been, off. And then we could have got a draw in the second half. We played quite well. Yeah. And- and that would have gone loud. That would have gone to the usual pattern, wouldn't it? Because we've had so many draws, and I'm, I've got to say, in the middle years of those four years we've been in the Prem, when we played you, I have thought you were eminently beatable. 
you didn't look a good side and we we came away with frustrating draws and it seemed like there was a mirror image going on of one team would go one nil up it would come back to one all I think it was the away team went ahead in every game and then it came mm. back to one all for a while and I thought I did fear for you guys I thought well at some point or other they're going down here and when the nine nil happened after there had been some better times I thought uh, I thought Hassan Hussel was a man now it looks like he's a dead duck and fair play to the owners for sticking with him as Peter said um, it was a good move he's definitely I like him I always liked him and I'm glad he's turned it around because I, I think he's a likeable manager and I think he's a good manager and um, it does look like you guys are fine you've got 17 points from 10 games and you just you know, you, what is normally that mythical thing in the bottom half of the Premier League 20 goal striker which is why you're uh, yeah yeah you know, we'll talk about that but most teams who, who are near the bottom don't have a 20 goal striker they just yeah. you know they have 10 and in fact they more. don't really need a 20 goal striker they do need a, a striker in double figures but yeah, the fact you've actually got one who can get twenty is pretty impressive. I think we're we're um, very lucky that you know a he's a local lad and b he's so injury prone that no one else really wanted him. Mm. And um, you know while we while we can keep him fit, mm. he's he's absolutely amazing. But there has to be a, a plan B. There's got to be a plan B because you can't guarantee that he's going to play thirty eight Premier League yeah. games in the season. So you've got to have yeah. a decent contingency that could play ten games without him. And Che Adams shape. The act looks quite good now. He didn't score for ages from memory last year, but he since he scored, was it his first goal after lockdown, maybe, or something, wasn't it? Or Yeah, it was his first ever goal for Saints was that, that lob against Man City yeah. from like pretty much the halfway line, which is like... He's done really well, I think, hasn't he? He's kind of scored a few goals and looks more... Yeah, yeah, he's 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 kind of like... Well, I think, like a lot of these players, he was a conf- he is a confidence player, and that 9-0 just... It, it, it reset everything and basically... He built the place and he just basically put his arm around a lot of players, Shea Adams especially, and he has just repaid that faith, you know, tenfold now. He's a, he's coming on leaps and bounds. But yeah, I like I like Brighton Saints games because I think it's it's always two teams playing football. Not one team won't sit back and just defend for their lives. Both teams will have a go. And I think because there isn't that um sort of real hatred that like Saints Pompey, you can't play good football in an atmosphere of abject hate. Mm. And and I think because there's just there's just you know there's a, a respectful rivalry. We're with South Coast teams. We want to be the best South Coast team. Um, but because there is that kind of there's a bit of perspective as well. But I think because you know both teams have been through the ringer, writing a lot more than Saints. Mm. But you know there's a bit of perspective there. And um, it was a little bit of a faux rivalry, wasn't there, around the time of Atkins and. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Type of, uh, well, when it was, yeah, when it was the comments, but it wasn't really anything serious, just a bit of a kind of. No. And I think it was, um, and I think it was just born out of a little bit of jealousy because Poyet had got Brighton playing the style of football that we wanted, or Adkins wanted Saints to play, but we weren't as far down that road as you guys were. And rightly so, you romped away with it because you played by far the best football. Well, you look at the team who won that division, who, who got second in that division for you guys, Lana, Oxley, Chamberlain. Um, Lambert said some hell of yeah. really. Schneidlin, you know, there was like four yeah. or five players that went on to play in the World Cup. Uh, in, Which is know, pretty impressive, at least. So. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, and I, I think weirdly, Saints' style was born out of seeing Brighton destroy League One yeah. that year when you when you were champions, and, and kind of the, the style we have had or we had for a fair few seasons after that was basically born out of that play from the back, pass it out. 
yeah. to you know stretch the field and, and pass, pass, pass. And it, it, it's kind of um, I think it was a, a really valuable lesson for, yeah. well, for the Saints team to see how to do it. It's really interesting you say that because firstly, I I had an envy of Southampton because Southampton had the infrastructure, they had the St Mary's Stadium there, and you could see they had the potential to step on much more than we could, even though we, as you said, we, we did really well in that league one season. Um, so that was born out of the fact we just not, not particularly what you guys were doing, but what we were unable to do um, in not getting the stadium through for so long. Um, but it's, it's, I think it's great that we're both up there now, but it's interesting you say about born out of seeing Brighton and what we were doing, because I'm pretty sure that Tony Bloom uh, had seen the way Swansea had won the title the year before that, they finished the season at, at with Dean. They'd already won the title by then, and they beat us. I think it was two 0 but it was a, it was just a, a display of really good, attractive passing football, which we'd seen obviously earlier in the season as well. And they played a really good brand of football to go up. And obviously, we saw what they did subsequently. They got into the prem doing the same thing. And I think Gus Poyet played a different brand of the same genre of football, you could call it. Um, so he, he put his own twist on it. But I, I'm pretty sure Tony Bloom, who's an ambitious man, had seen that and thought, I want that. So, you know, it evolves, doesn't it? One team sees another team do it. Yeah. Someone probably saw you doing what you were doing and thought, we want to do that next. And I've seen other clubs, even in, in the National League, there's a lot of teams get the ball down and play now. And they've probably seen it from maybe Doncaster, who did it for a while, or somebody else. Um, you know, passing game, everyone wants to see that now. Under Potter as well, and decided he wanted to play like that because uh, he then appointed him. Mm. Yeah, it's people want to see attractive football, don't they? Mm. It's Sorry, a great decision that. to play like that because it's you know it can be frustrating if you if you're losing one 0 and you're still playing out from the back and stuff. But mm. the amount of times that you're sort of playing in League One and then the Championship, we just carry on doing that, and we would eke out a goal and win the game, nick it at the end, and it's like it's that kind of. I guess like how Barcelona do it, we used to do it. It's like just death by a thousand cuts. You just, if you keep going and keep going, you just have to have faith. Yeah. And I think seeing Brighton do it, I guess them seeing Swansea doing it before, it's like, yeah. it's proven it can work. You just have to have faith in it. And I think sort of watching Saints play now, they they play with that kind of yeah. uh, joy and passion. It's like, it's, it's attractive football. It's not football to keep you in the Premier League. And I think there's there's two very different styles of football. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad that, that's, that Brighton have moved away from that as well, because it was... <laughs> really soul-destroying when you went somewhere like we were under Houston at the end we went to Tottenham and we barely got out of our half and it's I understand it's Tottenham and you know you, you, you know you could get thrashed there but it's so depressing watching a game when you're literally not even bothering mm. to attack and the last couple of seasons at Tottenham the games we've yeah we've been much more attacking we've lost both as well 2-1 but you know you kind of we've offered something we've given ourselves a chance rather than just basically writing off about eight games a season. Mm. People have said is it, it was really worth making the change. Chris Hewton's a lovely guy, should have stuck with him. And I love Chris Hewton. He was only the second manager to ever get us in the top flight and he kept us there as well, which was an extra step. Um, but ultimately, people have said, well, you know, are you really any better off? You've changed managers. You're still in roughly the same position. You're getting roughly the same number of results. But we are better off because we're playing, and that's no disrespect to Chris, but we're playing a better brand of football and being in the same position, that is an improvement, in my opinion. Also, I don't it's think more... we would have been in the same position under Hewton. We had a terrible half season yeah, at the end. Exactly. And I think mm. like, his style had, had run its course. There wasn't really, we, teams had worked us out. We didn't really offer anything. Once we went 1-0 down, that was the end of the game. And yeah, so I don't think we would have been in the same position as we are now. We'd probably have gone down the next season 
under Hewton. And also, it's almost impossible to sign attacking players with quality because he didn't use them. He didn't really kind of, we didn't really attack. Yeah. So who would sign for us? You know, the likes of yeah. Rossard, who's done pretty well, Mope, probably wouldn't have signed for us under Hewton, I'd have to say. Kind of. And the, I mean, Tony doesn't, doesn't get rid of managers lightly. He'll only do it if he really feels, from his professional opinion, that it's the right move to make. And he generally calls it right, I think. And I'm happy with the way things are going at the moment. I know you are, Peter, as well. Yeah, results. Uh, there's an anxiety around results because the Premier League's hard to stay in. More clinical, yeah. That's the only comment mm. I'd, I'd have. We yeah. should have more points than 10 at the moment, really. Yeah. But, but yeah. patience and resolve are two words that are not very familiar in the footballing world, are they? So in terms of sticking with managers, I think it's a good thing. And, and Southampton is, is a great example of a team that's benefited from doing so. Um, I mean, the, the interesting thing, actually, Matt, I want to ask you before um, we wrap up is, um, I remember in the, the League One years and just beyond, Nicola Cortesi was the uh, chief exec. He was a, a figure that ruffled feathers, didn't he? He ran the club well, but with a rule of iron and apparently was a bit, uh, bit of a divisive figure. Obviously, he, he ended up moving out. What, what, what happened and what's the current status in terms of ownership? Uh, are the fans reasonably happy with them in general? Yeah, I think we were kind of, because the results were there, we, we, we thought Cortese was the, you know, saviour. And, um, and yeah, you know, we, we went from minus 10 points in, in League One to winning, you know, second in the championship and getting up to football mm. into the Premier League. But behind the scenes, he, he ripped the heart out of the club. And I, I, by that, I mean the backroom staff and the people that actually run the club years and years after the managers left and the, you know and I remember I went on a tour of the stadium it was like my nephew's birthday and we went on a tour and it was just after Cortese had gone and um and basically he was saying it's like if you'd done a tour two months ago you know the atmosphere was completely different it's like people were skipping around the ground and they were just like they felt free from this kind of tyrannical grip mm. and um and so, you know, the Liebherrs, Catherine Liebherr still owned, owned the club and basically just turned it around and became kind of what they professed to be, which is a friendly family club. But it wasn't family friendly behind the scenes. Mm. And I think Cortese was just a bit too much of a, a ruthless businessman and had not enough football um, mm. empathy, I think it's probably the word to use. Mm. And now, you know, there's been Chinese investment that's come in and basically it's, it's, but it's run by a board, you know, sort of locally. And I think they have just bit sort of gotten into the notion that it's meant to be a family club and it's, yeah, they want to achieve great things. But I think first and foremost, it has to be the club that I fell in love with when I was a little boy. And I think to, to their credit, they are reining in prices. They're making it easier for fans and families to go and watch the games. So I think they are trying to sort of undo that, corporate um sort of creep that happened during the sort of, you know 13 14 15 16 sort of 20 you know those sort of years which of course is when you when you gave up your yeah. season ticket and, and, and well. i basically yeah, yeah I, I just said yeah. i can't i can't be a part of this anymore not i, I still support saints but i, I don't want to you know i was thinking i you know me and my wife wouldn't go on holiday because a season ticket was just getting more and more expensive every year and it's like what am i doing this mm. is this is crazy it's uh and i felt I felt like a customer. I felt whenever I contacted the club, I felt like an I was an annoyance. And uh, and yeah, and I just thought, 
there's there's more to football than this and it, mm. it felt like an abusive relationship almost and it's like you know well, you'll, you'll stay with us because you're a fan you were born into this club so you you have you have to stay and i and i just thought ah bollocks i'm not i'm not i'm not doing that because mm. I've, I've had enough and you proved to me that you know you're worthy of my support again and i think they have got there but i still don't you know i still don't mm. go very often basically because it costs a lot of money and you know it's it's just that and i've become a little bit too institutionalized and to go into lower league games and non-league games and going yeah. to andorra and san marino and, and ridiculous places to watch <laughs> you know i was i was in for, for barcelona to the bucky thistle i was in i went to the faroe islands and saw two nations league matches against the faroe islands versus azerbaijan and then kosovo in the space of four days and it was just like it was just the best time ever and it's like well, why would i want to go watch saints play when i can go watch Azerbaijan play Faroe Islands. So that's that's what it's all about for me now. Absolutely love it. That's brilliant. Well, it sounds like next time we meet up to actually go to a game, which has been a long time since, it's got to be something as madcap as that, hasn't it? By the sounds of it, I think so. Yeah. Well, I think it's a uh, it's and it's so easy to do. It's like you kind of think, yeah. oh my gosh, it's, it takes so much. No, 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 just. Book yeah, a flight or, or book a coach or book a train and off you go, you know, just do it. It's easier than getting tickets to a game at a major major ground, isn't it? Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that's without uh, talking about COVID and all that. Mm, but uh, and yeah. Peter, you'd be up for that, wouldn't you, Peter? Sounds good, yeah. <laughs> Liechtenstein, maybe, <laughs> somewhere like that. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did Liechtenstein play, I saw them play Armenia. And that, that was a hell of a game as well. I've only of been to course you've already done that. <laughs> I've only been to one game in Europe, but that was at Hamburg. And I have to say the experience overall was far better than any Premier League experience mm. I've had. Just like kind of the way they treat fans in Germany and the way they the way they kind of like yeah, the fans behave and like that. It's just it's just a different level to Premier League football. I'm definitely gonna do more German football and yeah, other leagues and yeah, internationals as well. Be good. Yeah. Okay, well, to round off um, the recording, um a couple of quick questions then, Matt. Um first of all, what do you reckon is gonna happen uh, tomorrow night? What's the result going to be? And secondly, are both teams going to be nice and comfy uh, when the league table reaches its conclusion in the summer next year? Yeah, I, I think definitely. I think Brighton are in a false position. You know, the, 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 there's there are some bad teams down the bottom of the league and they're going to stay there. And I think Brighton will they'll move up. You know, I think season like, you know, as close to 12th or 13th as possible in the next season build build again um i think saints the same i think you know they're they're in a false position at a positive end of the table i think they'll be sort of like 9 10 11 12 i think would be would be a decent season and another one that would help build them towards can we go on a cup run can we sneak into europe if you know other results go away you know i think that's that's the way they should be looking at it and i think uh i think both teams should be looking at it like that to be honest it's uh both play an attractive style of football and are kind of a credit to the league. So I think both both should be looking up and I don't think either is going to need to look over their shoulders this season, to be honest. Excellent. Um, and certainly the results have gone our way again this weekend. Our good friends Crystal Palace thrashed West Brom 5-1 today. Uh, Sheffield United lost to a last-minute or an injury time um, goal against Leicester. And um, Arsenal, who we could overtake if we beat you, tomorrow um have, have lost 2-0 at Spurs so I've got quite a few Arsenal mates and that could be quite entertaining if uh, we <laughs> managed to get ahead of them um in terms of t- tomorrow I mean I I think 
it's going to be a score draw or it's going to be a 2-1 win to us because I think we're in just in a good run of form at the moment. And as you said, with Ings, maybe not not able to feature significantly for, for you guys. Adams is a danger. Definitely other players are as well. But I've, I've just got the feeling we might edge this one 2-1. But if not, maybe a, a score draw. What, what about you, Matt? Yeah, I think I think two two. That's yeah. that sounds uh, that sounds entirely plausible. Um, if Lalana's fit, he's obviously going to score. He's not. So, yeah, of course. He's oh, good. He's definitely out. Yeah, a couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, there we are then. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think uh, Liverpool have cost us two weeks probably from the sound of it at least. Hmm. Yes. No. Exactly. I... Yeah. <laughs> and Peter. Logically, all my lo- all my logic says. I, I mean, I don't really like predicting we're going to win anyway, because just because I don't. Yeah, if I, hmm. uh, yeah. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we do a home win. We do a win against the Lampsons. We've not won in the six games we played you in the Premier League. Hmm. So we might win two one, but I, yeah, I'm not feeling confident about that. I'm just saying on the basis of chance, we've won one home game in 2020. Surely we must win one, one again soon. <laughs> just on the sheer laws of probability, it's kind of. Must happen some point. So we, we're both tipping a potential two-one win. So you yeah, can now relax, Matt, right. because that's definitely not happening now. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed to lose three-nil now. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the game. Uh, I'm not one of those that's got a ticket, neither is Peter. But um, hopefully, we'll get along at some point. Now the fans are back. Um, just briefly, and on a, to, to end on a downer, um, speaking about fans getting back, it's not always a good thing, is it? Um, I'm presuming you guys have seen Millwall's um, very classy efforts, uh, the supporters booing the Black Lives Matter uh, down on one knee um, motion at the beginning of their game. Um, any final thoughts on that one? Um, it's pretty despicable, isn't it? It's, I, I, I don't... I, I'm, Everything I've seen without wanting to get into too political is is that they basically seem to, everyone who's against it seems to have justified it by politicising it and saying mm. that they don't necessarily support all the things that Black Lives Matter, but it's actually a protest against racism, which surely anyone should agree with. I mean, the, you know, the, the taking the knee is a protest against racism. It's not a, supporting any political organisation like that. It is literally yeah. support, and anti-racism. I mean, how can you boo that? Yeah. Um, you know. Um, and West Ham fans, their arch rivals, getting on board, jumping into bed with them, saying, "Oh no, we're fully behind this." Apparently, it. the Liverpool fans this afternoon applauded it, which is a nice yeah. change. To oh, that's good. That's good. And Matt, any any takes on on that incident yesterday? I was I was watching um final score when when mm. it came up and it had, um Dion Dublin and Micah Richards were on it, and mm. and I think they just said it perfectly. Said, "If you're booing, you're a racist." It's, yeah. it's that simple. It's like if you if you're booing something as 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 symbolic as that, it's like there's no there's no beating around the bush. It's not anything to do with anything else other than you're a racist and and it just yeah it, it sickened me. I, I think, yeah. you, you think over the years you've seen as low as it can get with like seen sort of tragedies and whatnot, and, and that was just another another new low. And uh, yeah, I, I, I know. you know I, I just I don't know the middle squad at all. I don't know how many black players are in that squad, but I don't know how well, one of, one their of them fans. After the game, and said he was really hurt and disgusted by it. Marlon Romeo yeah. I saw, was interviewed after yeah. the game and said he, who coincidentally missed a penalty against Albion in the uh, FA Cup a couple of years ago, um, he came out and said afterwards that he was really let down and felt really hurt by the way that the fans behaved. 
yeah i mean the club itself seems seems to be doing a lot working really hard to try and change the image but unfortunately it's without being rude it's polishing a turd isn't it because ultimately the yeah, there's a large number of they're <laughs> yeah, not going to change are they you yeah the whole fan base or not the whole it's fan an, base, the big chunk of no them. no no of course not but it, indelibly there is a a, a sizable element which isn't going to go away or ever change generationally it's going to be the same largely some people might be able to snap out of it next generation down but then you're probably going to feel the same aren't you it's kind of... and, and and the culture secretary is it useless or eustace i can't remember which of those two it is i think it's useless um he, he was making a really powder puff comment in reaction saying well they're entitled to their opinion free speech whatever no you can condemn it you, you don't have to make a, a, a sanitary comment about you know, it's okay just let them say what they want no it isn't okay you need you need to clamp down on that because as, as you said, Matt, it's racist. There's no other reason anyone would ever boo that. They might have an opinion thinking, do we really need to keep this now or whatever? But to boo it, that's a very, it, as, as Troy Townsend said, it seemed to be premeditated. They, they'd had in their mind for some weeks, they've been itching for the moment to do what they did. And they'll carry on doing it. And there will be other clubs that will do it as well. Uh, I think we've probably got in our minds some of those that they might be. But um that that's very depressing and as it, you said it's a new low but on the other side it's really good to hear Liverpool fans applauding the players taking the knee this evening yeah absolutely it's yeah. Like a really kind of good counterpoint that you know that there are a lot of fans who are brilliant and that, as we said earlier you know it's like most most football fans are really decent people and sadly yeah. the ones you hear about are the ones like the Millwall fans yesterday and elements of West Ham fans and that sort of thing that situation and actually most yeah. football fans I think are good people there is an opportunity as well I guess now for clubs and players to keep taking the knee regardless of what the reaction is and sort of say you know they're always saying we want to challenge uh you know people's points of view and whatnot well now's the perfect time to keep doing it keep doing it if people you know yeah. that the more the more people do the more they keep doing it a conversation has to be started even with some of these morons that you know hmm. are just down out racist but it's for the next generation maybe you just keep doing it keep going yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, Matt, we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, just one final question, actually. Um, I've forgotten to ask you earlier. That that top you've got on, what is that exactly? It is a red top, but I'm not uh, sure if it is. Yeah, is it an old school Saints it's one? Saints. No, it's a Bhutanese, Bhutanese team called Druck United. Brilliant. It's a, it's, a, it's a very long story. Way, way, way back in the day, I, I accidentally started a, a formed a football team in the Himalayas in, in, in Bhutan. <laughs> And, uh, Hold on, you United. accidentally formed a football team. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but back way, way back in the day, I was getting really fed up with being just a really bad amateur footballer, and thought I want to. I wonder if I could sort of like find the worst national team in the in the world, and see if I could become an become a nationalised and, and become an international footballer. And Bhutan <laughs> at the time were right at the bottom, and I just yeah, I looked into it and realised how patronising is that. Uh, but I did start emailing people and one of these guys said, we don't have many teams, kids want to play, but they, they, there's there's no effort to play. So I said, well, maybe we should start a team. And he said, all right, I'm arranging training. And uh, so I'd start doing fundraising to raise money for kits and footballs and stuff. Uh, and yeah, we started a team and we, weirdly enough, one of the players ended up being the captain of the national team and won, they won their first ever World Cup qualifier uh, about three years ago with him as captain. So Brilliant! A, another bonkers story. It's in another bloody Saturday. It's it's in it's in that book. So, 
Look it up, boys and girls, definitely. And <laughs> speaking of looking up as well, um, Phil Shelley, a Brighton fan, runs a website called oldfootballshirts.com, I think it's called. Um, he's got, I think, tens of thousands of football shirts images on the, on the website. You should check that out, see if there's a Bhutan one on there. If there's not, get a photo of yours, bang it on there. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure I've been on that website before, but yeah, I'll, I'll have another look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Matt, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Let's see how it goes. The very worst of luck for tomorrow, but after that, good luck for the season. <laughs> and uh, thanks it's for joining great us. Great to speak to you all. Yeah, excellent. You too. And uh, Peter, until next time, up the Albion. Stand or fall. Sports Social Podcast Network.